All right, well, it's good to see you all. It's good to be back. I was on vacation last week. I'm glad to be back with you after some time away, some rest time. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. This is going to be page 979, if you are using the Bibles here at the church. Page 979, Ephesians 6. We're, we're finishing here our series on the book of Ephesians. I will tell you that I am going to be focusing mostly on verses 10 to 18, I just couldn't get all of it in, but we're going to be ending our our series on Ephesians this week. So we'll read verses 10 to 24 and then start a new series next week. All right, so if we're all there, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll begin reading at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love uncorruptible. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, please open our eyes this day that we might see wonderful things in your word. For you have given us this word and you have said that it is truth, that it cannot be broken. So may we listen as we do not listen to any other voice in this world. For here we have the truth of our God who knows all things 
and reveals to us the way that we can know Him, the way that we can live as His children. Bless us, we pray, all of us, in the listening to this word, your word preached, and may we grow in our love for our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. So in uh, C.S. Lewis's novel, Out of the Silent Planet, he tells the story of a man who's taken from the earth and he's taken to the planet Mars. And there on Mars, he sees a stone carving of the solar system. But as he's looking at it, he's struck by the fact that where earth should be, there's a hole gouged in the stone. And an angel there on Mars explains to him that the the heavenly beings call earth the silent planet because it's a place of rebellion. It's a place of war, spiritual war, that's ruled by an evil angel. And uh, Lewis's character later in the book goes on to, to describe earth. He says, earth is the Ypres salient of the universe. Now, probably there is almost no, maybe there's someone who knows what that means. I had to look it up, certainly. So what is Ypres salient? Well, Ypres was a small town in Belgium that stood in the way of Germany's advance into France during World War I. And, you know, a, a salient, maybe you know what that is at least, it's a bulge in a line of troops. And so this bulge was surrounded by German troops and, and the town there, Ypres, was obliterated. The Allied forces dug holes in the ground to escape. Uh, I think, actually, Uriah has a picture of Ypres for us. If he can pull that up, yeah, so there's Ypres. And, you know, what followed as the... As the troops began to fight were four years of vicious trench warfare. At one point during a period of four months, the Allied forces counterattacked and managed to take a few miles. Uh, The cost of those couple months, half a million lives. Uh, Ypres was also the, the first place in modern warfare where poison gas was used. Uh, And so you can just begin to imagine, you know, what this battlefield would mean to someone like C.S. Lewis, who who was in World War I. It was a symbol for people of that age, a symbol of deadly, vicious, futile warfare. Ypres salient is a picture of the spiritual warfare that envelops this world. Paul warns us about this kind of spiritual warfare here at the end of Ephesians. And you see, you know, as we've worked through Ephesians now, it's been quite some weeks, we've seen many, many incredible things. We've seen, you know, he's explained to us God's grace and how it's a gift, right? We've seen, uh, you know, we've learned about oneness with believers through our union with Christ. We've learned about the, the spiritual blessings that God pours out on his people, on his church. We've learned about the mystery of the gospel, um, how through Jew and Gentile he makes one new nation. 
um, with Christ as its head. He, we learned about, you know, the new life that as believers we need to put on in place of the old life. We, we, we looked at the last couple of weeks about what that new life looks like in sort of the most basic areas of our life, our marriages, our families, our work. But here at the end of Paul's letter, <laughs> it seems he's not convinced that we see the urgency of it all. He wants us to see this, the Christian life, what he's been describing as war. This is trench warfare. There's a poison gas in the air. You better get your gear on, Christian. Or else, how will you possibly remain standing? And so we turn to ask the Lord this morning, Father, how do we stand against evil? And through his word, he instructs us. We must know our enemy. We must know our armor. And we must know our Lord. And so we begin then by looking at our enemy. So my first point, knowing our enemy. Our enemy is supernatural and crafty. Uh, notice verse 12 tells us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The Christian war is not against other humans. It is true that humans can tempt us. They can deceive us. They can be used as pawns of Satan. They can speak lies into our life. But this is because they are his subjects. Jesus calls Satan in John 14.30, the ruler of this world. But we want to free them, not fight them. And so the ultimate enemy we wrestle is the one who holds them in his sway. It's not flesh and blood, but the devil and, and all his servants described here in verse 12 as the rulers and the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These are supernatural beings. These are evil structures. They, they can't be fought with material weapons. Uh, the world that we live in, you know, likes to try to explain all our problems by, you know, psychological, by social causes. Uh, it, it can all be explained by someone's upbringing, you know, by, by a chemical imbalance, by trauma. Uh, and it's true, these things can amplify, they can affect our sin, absolutely, but they cannot, they cannot fully explain it. You will never be able to identify and to defeat sin in your life, in your family, in this world, until you accept that evil exists and is actively promoted by supernatural beings. These beings are bent on destroying you and everything that belongs to the Lord. As Aragorn puts it to Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, are you frightened? Not nearly frightened enough. I know what hunts you. Friends, every day we are at war. 
We do not grasp how terribly wicked the devil and his servants are. We'd be desperate to get this armor on. He has thousands of years of practice. He is organized. He can be an angel of light. He could be a roaring lion. He's, he's already been is defeated, right? His, his doom is sure, but that means he's got nothing to lose. His only desire is to wreak havoc. Know your enemy. Now, we want to know about him, secondly, that he is, he's crafty. Um, verse 11 says that we, what we need to stand against are his schemes, right? What does this mean? Well, it, it means if you think his attack is obvious, you're missing the trap underneath you. It, it means he's not going to attack you when you're, you're all ready, you know, on, on your own ground. Uh, he's, it, it, you know, it means, as one Puritan writer put it, he will tell you a hundred true things, in order to get you to listen to the 101st thing, which is a lie by which he'll trap you. And finally, it means you absolutely need God's help if you're going to stand against him. His, his most original and only strategy is, is not some sort of paranormal activity. It's lying. It's lying. It's lying. That's, you know, the name he's given here, devil, right? That means slanderer, liar, accuser. He lies to you to get you to uh, forget or to question God's holiness. And he uh, accuses you to get you to forget God's love. And every day within the basic interactions of your life that Paul has just described in, earlier in chapter 6, every day, he and his servants are flinging darts at you. Those little moments of impatience, uh, worry, those times when you indulge your imagination just a little bit too much, those times you stretch the truth, those are all battles. And if you are not seeking to stand against those schemes when the evil day comes, verse 13, you will not be able to stand. You must know your enemy. He's supernatural. You can't fight him with the weapons of the world. And he's crafty. You need to be on your guard. You need the Lord's help. You need his armor. So let's turn to my second point, knowing our armor. You know, there's a, a book by George MacDonald. It's called Fantasties. Maybe some of you have read it. It's, it's, uh, it's quite the journey. There's a lot of crazy things that happen in this book. But one of the things that uh, happens, at one point, the main character, he kind of falls in with these two brothers. And these brothers have committed themselves to uh, destroy three evil giants. Um, and so they, they, they set to work, okay, because they feel like we, gotta, we have a lot of work to do to prepare. And so they spend years learning first how to fight, okay, learning how to use weapons, getting good at it. But next they realize, okay, we need weapons, we need armor. So they apprentice with a blacksmith. Uh, they learn all the craft. They get really good at it. Then finally they lock themselves in a tower and they, they set to work to build, you know, custom armor and the perfect weapons, and so the day finally comes. They feel ready to take on these giants. They've got all their armor laid out. They go to bed for one last night of rest. But 
Early in the morning, they're surprised by an attack from the giants. They, they don't have time to put on all that armor. They quickly grab whatever weapon they have. They defend themselves. They defeat the giants, but with no armor, the two brothers die, and only the main character survives. Now, what's, what's the lesson there? We must always be wearing our armor. In fact, there's an urgency, right, to getting this armor on. What's the point in spending years preparing if it's not on, right? There's, there's an urgency here. That's the first point we need to see. So verse 13 says, Take up the armor that you may be able to withstand. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on. Right, having put on. These are, these are past tense verbs. The idea is, is you can't actually stand until you've got this armor on. You're not going to be able to stand without the armor. And then, of course, verse 18 there towards the end uh, reminds us we've got to keep alert uh, with perseverance. We've got to be alert. You see, so many Christians only begin to seek the armor of God when they find themselves in the middle of the fight. And it is very difficult to arm yourself in the middle of battle. Friends, there's no time to waste. Get your armor on now before the evil day comes, before the the opportunity to sin, the temptation of the devil, and your fleshly desires all come together in one terrible moment to destroy you. Putting on God's armor is urgent. So then, how do we put on this armor? What is the method? to putting it on, right? It's, it is, after all, metaphorical armor. Uh, we, we know how to put on physical clothes. We might have an idea of how to put on physical armor. I don't know. But, but spiritual clothes, spiritual armor, how do we do that? Well, notice, right, as you look these things over in verses 14 to 17, they're, they're all things that they do actually belong to you already. If you're a Christian, it's not like you need to go out and, and, and find them and, and, and claim them somehow, right? You, you've already got them. But so there must be some sort of conscious process by which you, you take them up that Paul is referring to here. Well, the way we take up spiritual truths is by thinking deeply about them, right? By, we might say, by meditating on them. Uh, but, but let me play that out for you a little bit, right? You have to take what God says about you, okay? So uh, this person is covered in my righteousness. And you have to make that truth part of your daily experience, like, like a shirt you put on every morning. You have to go from, from knowing intellectually that you are a beloved child of God to, to acting instinctively like you are a beloved child of God. You need to be so conscious of the salvation that you have placed your hope in that it's just simply a, a reflex of your mind to reflect, to, to think about that salvation. You take these things up 
so consistently, so confidently in your mind that they become engraved in your heart. They're gifts to you. You don't have to earn them. But you must take them up. You need to bind them all around you. You need to soak in them till they're, you're controlled by them. You're defended by them. Now, I do want to talk briefly about each of these items, but first we need to talk about metaphors. Because, you see, Paul, you may have noticed, sort of unloads a dump truck of metaphors on us here. It's really quite unique, this whole armor thing. It's very unique here, and he does it for a reason, to help us. Okay, so, so metaphors, right, what are they? You know, they're, they're a comparison between two things. And they, they slow us down because they take work to understand. We can't just breeze past them. We have to think about them. We have to imagine them. They actually force us to meditate. That's what we just said we need to do to put on this armor, right? We need to meditate. Paul's helping us with this task. Metaphors, right, they're memorable. They, they get lodged in our heads. Um, Leland Riken writes that metaphors have two parts. First, you have to identify the physical reference. So, you know, what is this belt that Paul is talking about? What, what would it do in Paul's context? And then secondly, you have to determine what kind of comparison he's making between the belt and truth. What, what is true about this belt that he wants to see us about truth for the Christian. All right, so, so just think about belts with me here for a second. Maybe you have left home one day without a belt and pants that were a little loose. Do you know the feeling that comes with that? You're sort of like, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit awkward, a little uncomfortable, a little hampered, like you can't really move like you would want to. You're sort of always pulling them back up. Um, sort of exposed maybe, right? There's that, those feelings go along with that feeling of having loose pants and, and no belt. But when you get the belt and you put it on, you tighten it up, what do you get then, right? You get that sort of confident feeling. Uh, like you're not self-conscious anymore. You know, you can jump up and down. You're not gonna lose anything. You're good to go there, right? Uh, or maybe, right, we can, we can pursue this further. Maybe the belt of a Roman soldier is a little bit more like, for some of you, your trusty apron. You put it on, tie a nice bow. You're ready to start throwing food all over the place, right? If you didn't have the apron, you'd kind of be standing a little bit farther away from the, the counter. You'd be more careful. But with that apron, you're ready to take on the work. Or maybe, for some of you men, it's like your, your trusty uh, tool belt. You know, you've leather, solid, put it on. Feel like you're ready to go. You've got spots for the tools. You can get up on the ladder. You don't have to get back down. You're, you're ready, right? So there's this certain feeling that goes with these things. There's, there's emotions. And these are all part of what Paul's trying to communicate with this, this metaphor. It's more than just like an intellectual thing. That's how metaphors work. And, and this is what it does for you when you take up God's truth. 
in your life. When his truth is behind all your actions, your decisions, there's a consistency, there's an order, there's a confidence that comes with that. There's an integrity to your life. Your pants aren't gonna just fall down on you because you got the belt on. And that gives you the ability to stand against evil. Um, For the Roman soldier, and I think Uriah has a picture of a Roman soldier for us here, yes. There we go, so you can see uh, he's got the belt right there in the middle with some little uh, tassels hanging off of it. And, and so for the Roman soldier, it would, it would hold the breastplate in place. Okay, so it didn't flop around. It was actually part of what held his breastplate. So the breastplate wasn't flopping around. And of course, he would attach his, his sword and any other weapons to that belt. And so again, you know, how does that transfer to this idea of truth for us? Well, that is the way that, that truth works in our lives. It holds things together. It keeps us from being blown this way and that, from flopping around. It forms a foundation for building all these other truths that God tells us on top of. Now, we have to move a bit faster with the rest of the armor, so you're going to have to spend some of your own time meditating on these metaphors, but just briefly, um, so secondly, we've got the breastplate of righteousness, and you can see a breastplate on this guy right here. Um, And, of course, the breastplate protects your vital organs, right? You can't take an arrow in that area. That's a pretty important area. And so, in the same way, the righteousness of Christ preserves your life. Without the righteousness of Christ, you're a dead man walking. You have no spiritual life. Uh, Satan's accusations will cut right through whatever pitiful self-righteousness you can muster up for your own little breastplate. But if you have Christ's righteousness as your breastplate, Satan can never, ever touch your spiritual life. It's unpierceable. Now, that's objectively true if you're a Christian. But you see, again, this is where we have to take up the armor because subjectively, to feel safe from Satan's accusations we actually have to take this up. We have to appropriate this truth. We have to make it a part of our daily conversations in our hearts. Uh, Thirdly, we're to put on as shoes for our feet the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And Uriah has a picture of some Roman shoes for us. There's two versions here, but you can see with both of them, they, they sort of lace up the ankle, right? And then uh, in the next slide, if you want to show that, I really like this picture, okay? So here you've got, this is a paving brick. And in the middle is the the mark of the 10th, the Roman 10th legion. Um, But you can see there in the corner, right, there's an imprint. That's the imprint of a sandal. And you can see they had these, these like metal spikes on the bottom, Sort of like cleats, right? Like a, like a baseball cleat or a soccer cleat. And so you kind of get the idea here if you were to take like, a, like your favorite pair of you know, leather hiking boots or work boots that sort of, they, they, they lace up the ankle. And you know that feeling, right, of like readiness when you, got, when you lace up around your ankle and you feel like you're not gonna fall over and you can like jump on rocks and stuff. And now, so add to that, okay, like cleats. So there's this grippiness, and then maybe throw in like the flexibility of like a, like a sandal or something. And that's sort of the image you're getting that, that Paul is trying to communicate. And he's, he's saying, this is what it feels like 
when you are ready to share the gospel of peace at any moment. This is the feeling. You can turn on a dime. You're ready to move. You don't get thrown off by the rocks. Uh, Fourthly, we turn to the, the shield of faith, which we are to take up in all circumstances to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And the word for shield here uh, okay, yeah, so Raya's got that up for us. You can see it's a, it's a big, this is a, the word for shield refers to this specific type of shield. It's a large sort of door-sized shield um, that was used in battle to protect themselves from armors. The Roman soldier would use these and they would soak them in water before the battle so that if, you know, these flaming arrows came and landed on it, hopefully it would extinguish those arrows. And um, actually, if you can do the next slide too, you're right. You can see they would actually form these. Maybe you've seen this before. It's called a testudo. They would form these little squares. The guys in front would lock them together. The guys in back would pop them over top so that when these, you know, all these arrows came arcing in, uh, they would all be protected, right? And so Paul says our faith does this for us and for those around us. Faith What's that? That's our belief in the truth of Jesus, in his salvation, in his word. And, and when that faith is, is firmly fixed in our hands, we can repel the lies and the slander of the devil. So those who are weak in faith, right, they need to get in the middle of that group. They need to get in the middle of a group of believers who are, who are holding up their shields around them. And, and even those of us who are strong in our faith, we need somebody holding their shield over top of our heads, right? There's a mutuality of faith within the body of Christ, within the church, where we are constantly reminding each other of the veracity of what we believe, um, fifth, there's the helmet of salvation. If you want to show us that picture, yeah. So the helmet, um, that protects our head, right? And, and what does the head do? Uh, well, in Ephesians at least, Ephesians 4.15, we saw this earlier, um, the head is in charge of the body. It controls the actions of the body. And we need to protect that control center with what? With the truth the joyous truth of our salvation. With the certainty that comes from knowing we are saved, we have a home that the Lord is taking us to so that we're not controlled by our doubts. We're not controlled by the accusations that, the, that Satan brings against us. Lastly, of course, there's the sword. Um, Yes, thanks. So this is the Roman short sword, the gladius, uh, used mostly for stabbing, but also for stopping enemy weapons. And of course, Paul tells us this sword belongs to the Spirit, and it is the Word of God. It is the Word of God, the weapon that Jesus used so ably to defend himself from the attacks of the devil. You remember when he was tempted in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, the devil came to wrestle with Jesus. And he tried to tempt him away from his path. He even used scripture. And what does Jesus do? He is faster with scripture than the devil. And he responds and defeats the devil with scripture, proving that the Lord's armor is effective. 
It is effective. But now I want to turn briefly to my third point, knowing our Lord. Knowing our Lord. And this is a very key final point. Because as you guys look back over this text, um, it's, it's in some ways a very exhausting and maybe, hopefully at least, frightening text to some degree, right? All these metaphors, they demand a lot of the reader. The process of putting on the armor of God, that is, that's, not, that's not an easy thing. It's not a simple one. And, you know, moreover, we've seen, as Christians, we are inducted into the Ypres salient of the universe. Remember my introduction? We find ourselves suddenly in the middle of trench warfare. When you pull back the veil between the material and the, the spiritual, which is, which is what happens to a Christian. When we become a Christian, right, we begin to see spiritual things for the first time. We're alive spiritually. We're brought into heavenly places. We saw this early in Ephesians 2, 6. We used to blindly follow the prince, the power of the air. We blindly followed him, but now we've been seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But who else is in those heavenly places? We're told right here in verse 12, Spiritual forces of evil who hate your love of Christ with a deadly hate. They are supernatural in power with thousands of years to perfect their crafty plans. Be frightened because you need to turn away from the obsession with knowing and caring for self. And instead, you need to seek to know your Lord You need to seek to know your Lord. When the dragon seeks to devour you, who do you turn to? The conquering hero. The importance of knowing our Lord, it's laced throughout this entire text. So let me just walk you through a few places we see it. Verse 10, right in the beginning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's where Paul starts. Do you begin there? You must. You must. In the 1981 film, Chariots of Fire, Eric Little, the runner, says, and where does the power come from to finish the race? And some full screen writer has his character say, from within, which Eric would never, ever have said in real life. And every Disney, Pixar film, every television show since has made their hero say the same thing. You just got to look inside yourself for the power to do it. It's hogwash. You look within for the strength to stand up to evil. You will get knocked down every single time. You need the strength of your Lord. That's where Paul begins. You need the strength of your Lord, not yourself. It's that strength that Paul tells us back in Ephesians 1, verse 20, was worked in Christ to raise him from the dead. You need that strength. And when you embrace Jesus, when you seek to know him, it is given to you. And this text actually utilizes the armor metaphor to show this exact thing to you because 
Whose armor is this anyway, right? That's the next thing I want to show you. Whose armor is this? It wasn't actually made for you. Oh, no. We're told in verse 11, this is the armor of God. This is God's armor. And if you remember back to the verses Jonathan read, the Old Testament reading for us in Isaiah 59, verses 14 to 17, you'll see the armor of God It's not just something Paul came up with when he was sitting there in his jail cell. He's looking at the Roman soldier guarding him. Oh, yeah, he's got armor on. Oh, that's a great metaphor. No, he's reading his Bible. He's reading his Bible. And if you, many of these pieces of armor, they all show up uh, in Isaiah. Chapter 11, chapter 52, chapter 59. They are described there in Isaiah as the armor of the Redeemer. The armor of the Redeemer. In, in 59, we saw that God, he put on the breastplate of righteousness. He put on the helmet of salvation when he determined no one else could bring justice on the earth. No one could redeem his people. And so he put on the armor. He came down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And with that armor on, he defeated the devil. He defeated death. He saved his people, and he will return in it again to judge the world. But in the interim, he offers it to you. This is battle-proven armor with the sweet blood of Jesus upon it. He died and rose in that armor. Your life covered with his righteousness, your mind protected by the hope of his salvation, your feet, your feet bound up with the readiness to share his good news, your waist firmly encircled by his truth upon which all your life can be built, your arm shielded by the gift of faith that you need to stop the arrows of the devil, the sword of God's word placed in your hand, all that you need to resist the lies of the evil one. But finally, one more reminder in this text of how desperately we need to know the Lord. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And some people think of this as sort of the seventh piece of armor. Uh, I just think, It's the water we're to be swimming in. It's the air we're to breathe. It is the attitude that turns us to God. To know and to abide in our Lord, we must engage in all kinds of prayers at all times with all perseverance and for all the saints. Don't put this on your to-do list. Don't make this a box to check. Don't think of this as a wrap to the knuckles. Just speak to your Lord. Wherever you are in the battle. If you belong to Jesus, there's no barrier between you and God, so why put one up? Open up. Why relegate prayer to specific times of your day? Why surround it with a bunch of flowery, Christian-y words to make it feel like it's prayer? Just speak to God and keep speaking. 
And so this is what it looks like to know the Lord. And this is how to stand against evil. Be strong in his strength. Stand up in his armor. And do it with constant prayer. God, we do pray to you. We do ask that you would help us because we need you. We find ourselves weak. We find ourselves now looking at this battle that we're in and tempted to be afraid. And we do pray that you'd help us to view things realistically, to see this is a dangerous world we live in. There is war at every step. There there may be a skirmish for us as we walk out the doors at the back of this room. So, Lord, we need your armor. It's not an armor we need to make. It's the armor of our Savior. He gives it to us. And so fill us, Lord, with a desire to take it up. Fill us with a love for all that he has given us. His righteousness. The salvation he has bought for us. The readiness to share the gospel. All these things, Lord, the helmet. All these metaphors that help us to see what this means, Lord, and what it feels like, and to subjectively know what you have said is true of us as your people. Lord, make us a a people who are constant in prayer, and may we pray for one another, and may we hold the shield of faith above each other's heads. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.